The message you are about to hear is produced and distributed by the Living Church of God as a free educational service. Edited reproduction is prohibited. Copyright Living Church of God. All rights reserved. Well, here we are in a beautiful setting, enjoying wonderful special music, having an opportunity to fellowship with others of like mind and focus on a time ahead, on a time that we've heard about, a time of change. It's not dependent on an election cycle. It's not dependent on getting enough votes to bring somebody into office. We're looking forward to a change that will affect the whole earth. What a magnificent time that will be. What a great contrast that will be to the time that we live in now. We look around, we turn on the news, we open the paper. You know, we see a very different world than the world that we're here celebrating and looking forward to. The world now doesn't know God, by and large doesn't fear God. And yet, we have been called out. We're not here because we figured it out on our own. We're here because God has called us. We're told that He calls from the weak of the world. He's chosen us to be among those first fruits. To give us the opportunity at this time to know Him, to learn to fear Him, to prepare and practice so that we will be able to assist Him at His return. Well, brethren, in the sermon this morning, I would like for us to consider what it means to really fear God. The title of the sermon this morning is Fear God. You know, in our society, fear is uh, very unpopular. You know, we have slogans, no fear. People have lost a natural and a healthy fear, and there certainly is a lack of fear of the great God in heaven. I'd like to begin by reading a couple of definitions. Webster's defines fear uh, has several different meanings described or defined as a distressing emotion caused by impending danger or pain. It's also defined as a concern or anxiety and also a reverential awe, a feeling of deep awe. Now, awe is a word that's used from time to time. We use it in the word awesome. And we toss around the word awesome so much that it has really lost its meaning. Because after all, everything is awesome. You know, this cup of coffee is absolutely awesome. Uh, how are you doing this morning? I'm awesome. Um, you know, it, it, it loses its, its meaning through, through overuse. But awe is defined as an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, or wonder produced by that which is grand or extremely powerful. And let's begin by turning in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 14. We consider what it means to really fear God. 
You know, one of the things that I find interesting to do is to contemplate why God has arranged things in the way that He has. Because God has put great thought and consideration into every aspect of His plan. You know, you and I do things sometimes without thinking, sometimes with great thought. But our Father in Heaven doesn't do anything just by happen chance or... Uh, you know, without thinking, he puts great thought into what he does and the way that he does it. And so it's, it's interesting, it's instructive at times to think and consider why has God arranged things in the way that he has. There are a lot of lessons that we can gather from that. Well, let's, as we think about fearing God, let's uh, notice here in Deuteronomy, the 14th chapter, uh, we're going to begin in, in verse uh, 22. We read a a familiar passage. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. So we have here the instruction of how tithing is to be calculated, uh, that it's on a productive increase, and then it's calculated on an annual basis. Verse 23. You shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where He chooses to make His name abide, The tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, your firstborn of your herds, of your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So we have this command to tithe. He tells us how this tithe is uh, to be calculated and how this tithe is to be utilized. We're talking here about the second tithe. Let's notice also in verse 26, describes a little bit more about how this tithe is used. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. Now, it's interesting that as God, one of the purposes here that's tied in, that's, that we read in verse 23, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God Always. That we may learn to fear our God. And for that purpose, He commanded that this tithe is set aside for a very special use. It's a use that we use with our household. It's a use that we're able to to enjoy all these special things of abundance. You know, God could have done this much differently. He could have said, I want you to save just a a part of a tithe, you know, just a half of a tithe. He could have, you know, allocated that what we're, we're saving is, uh, you know, something that does not represent an increase in our standard of living. But the way he arranged this, that what we're able to enjoy during this week is a standard of living above what we enjoy the rest of the year. You know, we. He specified that all these things that we find desirable are something that that we're to go ahead and enjoy the use of for this purpose that we may learn to fear the Lord our God always. You know, when we understand that the abundance that we have during this week just represents, it's a taste, it's a foreshadowing of the abundance that, that we look forward to when these days are fulfilled. When, as we heard in the special music, when the world tomorrow becomes the world today. 
We look forward to that time. And as we're here focusing on this, you know, we're able to enjoy an abundance here. Our mind is not focused on how am I going to pay, you know, the rent, light bill, water bill, whatever it is. You know, our mind, our presence is, is right here where God has placed His name. We're focusing on His Word on this time ahead. Family is very important. You know, the feast is, you know, in a sense, a great big family reunion. And we're here enjoying this abundance with our family, both our physical family and our, and our spiritual family, looking forward to learning about God's Word. Learning about focusing on God's plan. You know, mankind, Satan has done a masterful job of deceiving the world. When we talk about, you know, with, un, with, with those in the world whose minds have not been opened, when God's Word is discussed, the Bible, the commandments, God's law, you know, what comes to their mind is a very different than what we think of. You know, we understand that God's law is a way that produces a result. A result that we want in our lives. You know, I don't want the way that Charles O'Gwen produces. That's a point that we all came to as we approached baptism. That we want the effect of God's Spirit living in us. We want the result that that way of life produces for us. We don't want... You know, the results that come with trying to figure things out our own way. And here during this, this week, these eight days, this festival season, we're focused on that. And the contrast that this represents to the world, the society that we live in, we're here to, with this abundance to rejoice, and in that rejoicing to learn to fear Him. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 8. We'll notice a little bit more on this subject of fearing God. We're going to notice a little bit about the result that comes from fearing God. This is not just a phrase that's used again and again in Scripture. It is something that has meaning and it is something that produces a result. And in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13... We read a little bit about that. We read that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. So we see here that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. That in other words, as we have the fear of God in us, as we're walking with the fear of God before us, that it produces a result. And the result that it produces is that we hate evil. You know, God is building His character in us. We're looking forward to the time when our Lord and Savior returns and when we are transfigured to full members of the God family and that we rule and reign with Him. When we are full members of His family. Right now, we're preparing for that. We're called the sons of God. We look forward to that ultimate destiny. And as we prepare toward that, we begin to resemble our Father in heaven more and more in our thinking and in our action. 
You know, one of the, the interesting things about families is the family resemblances. We, my wife and I have three children. Our youngest is, is eight months old, uh, will be tomorrow, and our oldest is ten. And one of the things that has been kind of fascinating for my wife and I is to look at the baby pictures of, of the little one and how similar he is to the older daughter. And we can look at family pictures and see various similarities between the generations. You know, God designed that for a reason. This wasn't an accident. It wasn't just the way it turned out. God arranged things for a reason. We see those family resemblances, and it's not just with the, you know, let's say, physical features, eyes and nose and ears and mouth. It's also with mannerisms. It's also with uh, certain approaches and just ways of thinking and acting. That as we have the fear of God, we begin to take on the, the mannerisms. We begin to take on the thinking of God. To hate evil. We begin to love the things that God loves. We begin to hate and abhor the things that He hates. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 16. In Proverbs chapter 16, we'll um, see here a little bit else about the fear of the Lord. In verse 6, we read, In mercy and truth atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord one departs from evil. By the fear of the Lord one departs from evil. You know, there's a different mindset. There's a spiritual maturity that comes as we begin to know and understand God more deeply, begin to to develop that relationship with Him. But one of the things that catches people's attention, marketers understand this to a great degree, is fear, pain. You know, the, the security commercials for home security systems, what do they show? They show fear. They show the possibility of loss, the possibility that something can be taken. It grabs everyone's attention. And a lot of insurance is sold the same way. It's that fear, uh-oh, that could happen to me. I better buy this so I am safe. Uh-oh, this can happen to me. I better, you know, pull out my wallet and then that won't happen. That's a basic motivator. Marketers understand that. God designed and wired our brains. We read right here that the fear of the, by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. You know, there is a pleasure of sin, and it lasts for a season. And while people are engaged in that lifestyle, it's hard to really comprehend much else. But fear captures their attention. By the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Begin to think, uh-oh, maybe I had better make some changes. I had a friend years ago that um, was previously Catholic. He was raised Catholic, uh, wasn't, wasn't going anywhere, uh, doing anything, kind of disillusioned and turned off with religion in general. And after the um, 
he knew that I uh, was religious. We would it would come up on occasion. Uh, we would be eating lunch or something. He would say, "Oh, you've got to have this. It's really good." And I would say, "No, I I don't eat that." Uh, and he, you know, why not? And I'd say, "Well, you know, I I don't eat those things." Um, so he was aware that we that I had had beliefs that, that guided my life. And after the 9/11 attacks, suddenly, although we hadn't talked about the Bible previously, that was all he wanted to talk about. Suddenly, that had his attention. By fear, one departs from evil. Suddenly, he was concerned that those scary headlines weren't just something happening half a world away in another part of the world. It was on our country. It was on a place that wasn't so distant. By the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Suddenly, God has a way of getting our attention. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we'll notice here uh, an example. Christ gives a parable here, the parable of the wise servant. And it's interesting, it describes here two different approaches to carrying out uh, responsibility. One obviously has a, a godly fear and the other one uh, does not. In Luke chapter 12, we're going to read verses uh, starting in, in verse 42. The Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season? Verse 43, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So we have... Uh, one who was given a responsibility, told to carry something out. And when the master returned, he was found that the, the servant was doing what he had been told to do. And the next, uh, verse 44, Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, at an hour and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. So we see here two contrasting approaches. You know, the, the, the first is one that has a, a, a godly fear, and the second is one that doesn't whose attention is solely focused on the right here, right now. Right here, right now, what's in it for me? No thought given to the future. No thought given to planning ahead. No thought to preparing for what's coming. You know, the fear of God produces a result in our lives. A result that when our Lord and Savior returns, He finds us so doing. He finds us eagerly waiting and watching. He finds us preparing. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. We notice something here about the fear of God. We're told in Proverbs 1 and verse 7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You know, libraries and bookstores are filled with books on all sorts of subjects. And when it comes to certain areas, they're filled with conflicting opinions. Yet we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. To the extent that those works align up with Scripture, they're accurate. To the extent that they deviate, no matter how well-reasoned, there's always a flaw in there somewhere. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge that God's Word is a foundation. And no matter what field of study, this is what everything should come back to and build on top of. You know, it's unfortunate that so often in our society, the institutions of higher learning produce educated fools. You know, produce these environments where uh, things like evolution are considered an absolute fact and that you must be ignorant if you think that there was a God who actually created everything. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That this is the starting point. True knowledge is something that builds on top of God's Word. Does not contradict it. You know, there are two ways of life. There is the easy way, and there is the hard way. Two ways to learn lessons. You know, as my girls and I will will go through uh, passages in Proverbs. One of the things that we kind of talk about with, with this verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You know, that God guides us. He gives us instructions so that we will be happy today, tomorrow, and forever. That as we live this way of life, it will keep us safe, it will protect us, it will guide us. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. In other words, you know, fools love learning things the hard way. They don't want anybody to tell them how to do things. They love spankings and trouble. You know, I don't know about you, but I love a real shortcut. You know, why would I take the long way when there is a, a legitimate, easier way? God's way provides that kind of path. It illuminates. Here are the, the pitfalls. Here are the landmines. Here are the things to watch out for. And that it's by that fear of God that we're able to have the knowledge and the wisdom to navigate life successfully. God's way doesn't make life easy, but it makes it easier than the alternative. There's always a harder way. Let's go to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. We'll notice a very important aspect here of the fear of God and what God has in mind and what God is doing. In Psalm 130, going to uh, read verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. 
You know, God forgives us so that we may learn to fear Him. God wants to see those who are created in His image. He wants to see them successful. He wants to see them reach and achieve their ultimate destiny to be full members of His family for all eternity. God wants us to be successful. You know, the one of the views of God that Satan has deceived the world with is this concept of a harsh God who's just on the edge of His throne waiting eagerly for someone to mis, misstep. Make a mistake. Zap! Gotcha. Hit him with lightning. You know, that's not the God of the Bible. You know, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, oh Lord, who could stand? You know, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. There was only one who's ever walked the face of the earth. Who could stand? Our Savior. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. God wants us to learn. Learn from our mistakes. Learn to love Him. Learn to fear Him. Learn His way of life. And so, there is forgiveness. You know, when we think about the fear of God, God forgives us so that we, can, we have the opportunity to develop that kind of a relationship with Him. You know, the fear of God as described in the Bible is not the fear of a household with a, an angry drunk returning from, from an all-night binger. You know, the fear that's described in Scripture is a fear that is based on a relationship, an intimate relationship with our Father, an understanding of who He is, what He stands for, what He is working out. Let's go to Psalm 119. You know, often people will bring these uh, various confused notions about uh, what it means to fear God. Not really pulling from Scripture, but really pulling from from their own experience or things that they have seen or witnessed. But when we look at Scripture, a very different picture emerges. Let's notice here a few verses in Psalm 119. In verse 77, we're told, we read, "...let your tender mercies come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight." No, it's, it's not described as that old burden, that heavy, heavy burden. No, it's described as your law is my delight. In other words, there's an understanding that there is a way of life, that there is a fruit that this way of life produces. That's something that we delight in. in verse 97, 
Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Well, again, we see this delight, this love, this deep appreciation for God's law. That the more we fill our mind with God's law, the greater understanding we have about the results that it produces, about the way things fit together, about the wisdom and insight, the foresight of our Father in heaven. Verse 98, For you through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. In verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. You know, as we fill our minds with God's law, we're able to have great insight, great wisdom, discernment. Verse 103, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. You know, we read here in poetic language, sweeter than honey. You know, in today's language, we might say sweeter than chocolate. You know, it's something that we look forward to, it's something that we enjoy, it's something that we savor. God's law is not hard to think about constantly. It's something that the converted mind, it comes more naturally. It's part of the spiritual maturation process. You know, you remember when you, uh, for those that are married, when you first fell in love? You know, it wasn't hard to think about that person all the time, they were in your thoughts constantly. You know, when you're driving to work, you're thinking about them. Look out other drivers on the road, but, you know, your mind is there. You know, when we're thinking about God's way of life and the results that it produces, we can't help but think about it all the time. You know, when you turn on the news and we see what's happening, we long, we think immediately about the time when the headlines will be different. You know, we we heard about what some of those headlines uh, can be that we look forward to in the sermonette this morning. You know, we long for that time, we look forward to that time, that it's something that we enjoy thinking about. Verse 105, that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That God's law illuminates our way. It keeps us safe. You know, if you've ever been out walking at night, it's nice to have a flashlight. It allows you to see where you're going. You know, when I go camping, I like to have a really bright light. Because... I want to see a law. I want to be able to see the other side of the field. You know, that's human nature. We get impatient sometimes. We want to see way out there. But what it describes here is that God's Word is a lamp to our feet. It shows us our next step. It will keep us from stumbling. Sometimes what we get wrapped up in is, okay, 
uh, what about next week, next year? But, you know, God's Word shows us our next step. It's a lamp to our feet. You know, Christ said, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. You know, we get to focus on right here, right now, and God's Word provides that, that illumination for our next step. Let's notice over in verse 114. It says, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in Your Word. You know, we're here thinking about the hope that God's Word provides. That time that we look forward to. We hope in God's Word. That there's more to life than the right here, right now, what we see around us. That there is a real change coming. That there's something that's that we have to look forward to. You know, when we have we live in a nation of great abundance, we have a lot physically to be thankful for. You know, as a result of God's promise to, to our forefather Abraham. And yet we understand that the real hope isn't about getting the right guy to the right capital. The real hope is what lies ahead. What we're preparing for. That change that we're celebrating, that we're looking forward to. Let's turn back to Genesis 22. We're going to look at a couple of examples of fear in God. In Genesis chapter 22, a familiar passage. This is actually the first place in Scripture where we uh, the word fear God is, is used in that phrase, fear God. In Genesis chapter 22, we have the account of uh, God coming to Abraham. Verse twenty, uh, verse one, we're told that He came to him and He tested him. He told him in verse two, "Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you." So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. Abraham took off. Rose early in the morning. You think for a moment about that. Abraham, God asked Abraham, here gave him this test to sacrifice the most important thing Physically for Abraham. Abraham had waited a hundred years for a son with his wife, Sarah. Very precious. There was nothing more precious that, that God could have asked for. So God gave Abraham a test. And we see Abraham's response Early the next morning, he got off. 
You know, it's hard to get off early in the best of times even when you need to be there. You know how easy it would have been to procrastinate or, or, or do whatever. We're good at thinking of and excusing and you know coming up with reasons why. And yet what we see here is Abraham's obedience without procrastination. He got prepared and did what he was told. And he had this journey, the opportunity to kind of mull over, probably pray fervently and beseech God, perhaps there's another way. And yet, got closer and got closer and got closer. You know, Isaac asked, hey, what about this? You know, I, I see me, I see you, I see we've got the wood here for the offering. The only thing I don't see is, you know, where's the where's the lamb? Abraham told his son, God will provide. They finally get up there. Verse 9, they came to the place which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar upon the wood. Well, Isaac obviously had great faith as well. He knew what was going on. Verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God says, now I know that you really fear Me. That there's nothing more important in your life than Me. And My way. And what I tell you. You Abraham is, is known as the father of the faithful. And he demonstrated that right here. A very powerful example. A very powerful example. You know, fearing God is about priorities. It's about how big is the God that we serve. About being able to look beyond the right here, right now, and trusting Him. Let's go to Hebrews chapter eleven. Hebrews chapter eleven. I was thinking that Hebrews was in my Bible this morning, but in Hebrews chapter eleven we'll begin in verse one. We read that now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Real faith is not some kind of airy fairy vague concept. Real faith, the faith that we read about in Scripture, 
in the pages of God's Word is the evidence of things that are not seen. In other words, it produces something. It is evidence. It, it, it produces something that is visible. You know, evidence is what you have in a court of law. It's something that you use to prove something with. Faith is the evidence of things that are not seen. We'll read a little bit more about it in verse 2. For, it, uh, for by it the elders obtain a good testimony. For by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he should receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You know, it goes on to describe the result of this, this faith, that it produced a result. In verse 6, we read that without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You know, we read earlier in Psalm 119 that we hope in God's Word. We read in there in Scripture about God's plan, about what's coming, about our part in that. We have a hope in that. That in order to please God, we must believe that He is. That's a prerequisite. And the other is that He is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. You know, Abraham believed that God was the rewarder of those that diligently sought Him. And so whatever God told him to do, Abraham did. We're told, we read here in verse 8 about God's instruction for him to go out and, and, and look for a city whose maker and builder was God. And Abraham got up and left and went to do it. We're told... We read earlier in Genesis, God told him to go and sacrifice his only son. Abraham went out to obey. He believed that God is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Brethren, that's why we're here today. Where God has placed His name. Living our lives, trying to live our lives in harmony with His Word. Because we understand that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And it produces a result in our lives. You know, that what we see around us, we understand through God's Word that it's temporary. That it will pass. That's not something we understand by simple methods of observation. That's something we understand because it has been revealed to us. God has opened our minds to understand that. 
Let's go to John chapter 12. Fearing God involves looking beyond the here and now. It involves looking forward to what lies ahead. It involves focusing on God's Word, what God expects of us, what God desires of us. Let's notice here uh, another example of fear. In John chapter 12, we read a sobering example of fear, mixed up priorities. In verse 42, John 12, verse 42, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in Him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Wow! What a frightful statement. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You know, a very sobering thing. Here were people who should have known better. They believed on Him. They recognized that this individual really is the Messiah. He's fulfilling the prophecies that we read about. But the fear of those around was greater than the fear of God. You know, you put them in the balance scales, how can they possibly compare? They don't. But it all depends on what you're looking at. You know, real faith, real fear of God involves looking beyond the here and now. Looking forward to what lies ahead. Understanding on a deep level that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And as we get that at a deep level, it changes our thinking. It changes the choices and the decisions that we make. We're able to make decisions not just on the short term here and now, our line of sight, we're looking much further. Let's go to, to Matthew chapter 10. We'll read an admonition here that Christ gave. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Jesus tells His disciples, it's recorded for us, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body. You know that what we're thinking about and what we're focusing on needs to be on a different plane. What we need to focus on is not just right here on the physical plane, Oh, I don't want to upset or ruffle this person's feathers. 
So I will compromise my beliefs. I will compromise what it says in God's Word because I don't want to ruffle anything. That our focus needs to be very different from that. Our focus needs to be on the spiritual plane. Concern with seeking the praise of our Father in heaven in whom, whose Word we hope. Our fear needs to be fearing the One that has the power to give us eternal life. You know, what an amazing thing we have to understand, to look forward to. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. You see, when when we're thinking and focusing on fearing God, on pleasing God, on God's Word, on the promises and the hopes that it contains, when our focus is beyond the right here, right now, what's in my personal best interest in the next ten minutes? You know, a lot of people live their lives that way. And, you know, life is a, is a series of one mistake after the next and they go through living life the hard way. I had the opportunity uh, years ago, I worked in the oil field with a guy who had been divorced seven times each time for the same reason his wife had found out that he was unfaithful. He went through life the hard way. You know, unable to really see the future, see a bigger plan or figure out things that for most others are obvious. You know, God's way points out pitfalls. It, it, we're looking forward to a time of peace. We heard about that earlier. Of peace and harmony. You know, that peace and harmony is a result It's a result of making choices. Everyone making choices with certain core values in mind. We don't get that peace and harmony as a result when everyone makes the choices based on, what do I want? Let's look here at, at what it looks like to fear God on an individual level. God spells it out. Here we have some, uh, here in Leviticus, we've, we've got a, a lot of, uh, you know, really insight into the mind of God. He, he lays out various pitfalls. Don't do this. Stay away from this. Let's notice here in verse 13. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. In other words, don't put off and procrastinate paying when when you owe it. You shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind. You know, you're not to entertain yourself at somebody else's misfortune. But you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Then in other words, in just the daily aspects of life, we're to remember God's Word. We're to remember His way of life. We're to put it into practice. 
You know, God's way of life produces a result. A result that we look forward to. You know, that same result is one that society at large would like to have as well. You know, even those who are fighting would like to have peace. They talk about peace. They, they just don't know how to have it. You know, we have the opportunity to learn about God's way. To learn a different way of thinking. To put that into practice in our lives. And as we do that, it produces results. It changes us. You know, Christ said that we are the light of the world. As we study God's Word, as we understand that it is the the beginning of knowledge and wisdom, as we try to live our life in harmony with the principles found in this book, it shows up in all aspects of our life. You know, we've, we've read a couple of times the Scripture about the time when the knowledge of God's Word will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And here we are at a beach feast site, this, this wonderful location. We can look out at the waters and think about that. That time when, you know, if you pull something up from the bottom, if you go snorkeling and you pull something up, it's waterlogged, it's wet. It's not dry. It's wet. It's dripping. You know, the time is going to come when the the knowledge of God and His way of life permeates this earth. Just like the waters permeate the sea and the ocean bed and everything that's in it. And it produces a result. And that result is visible. Christ said that we are a light to the world. You know, that as we saturate our mind on God's Word, it shows up. Not just in the fact that we don't cheat our neighbor, that we pay the lawn guy on time. You know, it shows up in our conversation. Our conversation with our neighbors or co-workers or whomever. That we talk about different things. Primarily, perhaps, that we don't talk about some things. We don't get wrapped up in the latest gossip. We're not telling tales. Our language is something that we would not be embarrassed for Christ to hear. You know, it shows up in our, in our tithes and our offerings. You know, our approach to calculating those. You know, when we're really fearing God and loving God, we're not trying to calculate, well, okay, I've got to bring something today. Let's see, how, how little can I, can I scrape up? When we really desire to please our Creator, our focus is completely different. You know, it shows up in our work habits. Our work ethic. The way we work. We realize, based on God's Word, that our work, that our serving, is not to men, but to God. He's the one who, who
who is glorified when we work hard. He's the one who's embarrassed when we say we're Christians and we're laying around. I remember one time when I was in the oil field, worked there for several summers after high school. We were on a job one time and we were supposed to spread rock. There was a great big dump truck load full of rock that had been dumped out and had to be spread inside of a power substation. And uh, they couldn't bring the heavy equipment in, so this was going to be a lot of hours of hot work just with a rake moving rock. Boss dropped everybody off in the morning, waited there for a few minutes and drove off. We're all, you know, hard at work, raking rock in the sun. Boss finally disappears. All the other, I mean, the rest of the crew, they put down their rake and went over to the shade. I was flabbergasted. We'd only been working, you know, 15, 30 minutes. And they looked at me and they're like, Boss ain't here. Yeah, but he's coming back. <laughs> When we think about God's Word, when this is the guiding principle in our life, it affects the way we do things. Other people notice there's something different. They all thought I was crazy. I thought they were. It was mutual. <laughs> you know, when we, when we fear God, it shows up in our choices of entertainment. You know, the television or the movies or the music. That we wouldn't be embarrassed and need to put the channel quickly if we realized Christ was sitting there on the couch with us. You know, the things that we, we do when no one is watching. When we really fear God, it, it pertains and touches every area of our life. Let's go to... Um, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We read something. We read in verse... We're going to read uh, beginning in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now, why would that verse need to be in the Bible? Why would that need to be spelled out for us? Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. The reason it needs to be spelled out for us in black and white is because sometimes here and now it doesn't seem that way. Verse 8. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Verse 9, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You know, the point here is that as we fear God and live our lives that way, we need to not give up hope. Don't be discouraged by the circumstances that we sometimes go through here and now. Through God's Word, we understand 
what we're looking forward to. So we have this encouragement while we're doing good. Don't grow weary while you're fearing God. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. If we don't give up. If we keep moving forward. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We here read at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the whole conclusion or the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. You know, the time is coming when we will see Him as He is. What a glorious time that we look forward to when that change is now, not ahead. Let's go to Micah, the fourth chapter. Micah, chapter 4. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Micah, chapter 4. We read about what that time will be like. It shall come to, verse 1, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. We heard yesterday about that kingdom of God. That kingdom that will be above all kingdoms. And everyone will want be pointed towards it. Verse 2, Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways. We shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. What an amazing time. You know, there will be words that will be dropped from the dictionary because they won't have any meaning anymore. The headlines will be different. You know, these implements of war will be converted to a productive purpose. They're not even going to study it. There won't be military academies. The schools of fighting. In verse 4, Everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. You know, the God we serve is the one who declares the end from the beginning. 
what he says right here. He describes a very different world than the world that we see around us. We're here focusing on that. Thinking about that. Experiencing a taste of that. Making that more real to us. You know, we learn in a variety of different ways. God teaches us not just by reading it. He teaches us through hearing it. We come to services and we hear His Word. We read it and study it at home. We're here enjoying our second tithe, an abundance, a rejoicing before Him, hearing more about His Word, hearing more about the time that's coming. We're experiencing it a little bit. You know, He's bringing home that point, that lesson, in a variety of different ways. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. We began in Deuteronomy, we'll end in Deuteronomy. You know, what a loving Father in heaven that has decided to teach us the fear of Him in this way. You remember the ancient Israelites? God had demonstrated His power for them in so many ways and they still didn't fear Him. So they got the, the earthquake and the God speaking to them through thunder. You know, God is teaching us the fear of Him by allowing us to come where He has placed His name and rejoice before Him with abundance and study His Word, and think about the meaning of these days and a time when these days will be fulfilled. And our role in that, we're learning it, we're practicing it, we're examples of that, and we look forward to the time when we will be able to teach the whole world. You know, it's a joy to be able to teach someone. One of the, the joys of, of Parenthood is being able to teach your children various things and really see the light bulb go on. And that's exciting. You know, God has given us the opportunity to prepare now so we'll be able to turn on the light bulb for billions? For all of mankind? What a tremendous privilege. Let's notice here in Deuteronomy chapter 10, you know what, verse 12, what does God expect? Verse 12, and now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep His commandments which the Lord, uh, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes which I have commanded you today for your good. You know, we live in a society that by and large does not know God and does not fear God. We've been called to prepare for a different society. One in which the knowledge of God and His way of life 
will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Our minds have been opened so that we can learn to properly fear God. We're here where He has placed His name, celebrating the time when the whole world will do the same. God speed that day.